The following podcast is banned in the state of Florida for talking about a dangerous leftist book, the Bible. Like the Bible, this podcast contains frank discussions on sensitive topics, including sex, violence, and cursing. Please proceed with caution. Mary said, With all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. God has looked with favor on the low status of the Lord's servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored, because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is God's name. The Lord shows mercy to everyone, from one generation to the next, who honors God as God. God has shown the strength of God's arm. The Lord has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. God has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. God has come to the aid of God's servant Israel, remembering the Lord's mercy, just as God promised to our ancestors, Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. This is the word in black and red. Luke 126-38 When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, the angel said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's Son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who is labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me, just as you have said. Then the angel left her. As I was typing up this sermon, I was holding in my arms my newborn daughter in the ICU. Just a few weeks old, without much of an immune system of her own, she contracted RSV and went from a bad cough to struggling to breathe in about two hours. As she was hospitalized, things only got worse, and soon she had oxygen tubes and an IV installed to make sure she would survive the night. My partner stayed with her, only sleeping when I was able to leave our son with his grandparents to come hold our little baby. Although she is doing much better now, I was terrified that there would be permanent damage to her body or that she might just stop breathing. All of this fear caused by a single virus. On Thursday, I attended a Christmas service put on by Father Naim Atik, the head of the Sabil Center in Jerusalem and a Palestinian priest in the Anglican Communion. As we prayed together, the leaders spoke about the over 20,000 victims of the bombings by the Israeli government. Half a million Palestinians are facing starvation, and 1.9 million are now displaced because their homes have been destroyed. A church in Palestine has placed the nativity scene under the rubble to signify that Jesus is with the Palestinian people. The Palestinian people have even more reason to fear than I have. 
As I have prayed over this sermon for the past two weeks, I have asked myself again and again, how can I preach on joy and love while there is an ongoing genocide in Jesus' hometown? Father Naim pointed me to the story of Mary. Mary was a young woman in Palestine in a time when unwed mothers would be ostracized, cut out of the community, or even killed once they were discovered. Abortion has been a medical procedure for centuries, kept as a secret passed down by women before men ever wrote anything about it because of this stigma. Now, I believe in a virgin birth most of the time, but imagine for a moment that you are Mary and you find yourself unwed, suddenly pregnant. The only older female relative Mary is described as having is Elizabeth, who lives a ways off and finally got pregnant after years of trying, so you feel isolated and alone, unsure of what you're going to do next. Fear must be your main motivation factor. Then suddenly an angelic messenger appears and says, do not be afraid. Notice what the angelic messenger doesn't say here. The angelic messenger doesn't say, this is going to be easy, or you'll get through this. This declaration isn't an easy solution or a get-rich-quick scheme. The angelic messenger says that Mary will likely be cut off from everyone except Joseph and Elizabeth, have a son everyone knows does not come from Joseph, and face a social death that no one else will understand or sympathize with, while she tells a story about God and an angelic messenger that I'm sure caused everyone's eyes to roll. And she still said to God, I'll do it. And not only that, but she rejoices over it. She finds joy in the depth of her despair and realizes that through her struggle, she will help bring about the liberation of the whole world. A large part of my struggle putting together this sermon is that I'm a white American person trained in classical manhood in a straight-passing relationship. Someone who looks like me should not say to Palestinians, Rejoice! Your suffering will bring about the liberation of the whole world. While I sit here in the comfort of an air-conditioned room, holding my baby, getting top-notch medical care, with no fear of being bombed. But the interpretation Father Naim offered gave new meaning to the words, Do not be afraid. It is not merely a declaration to stop feeling the emotions we're feeling. Science has taught us fear can be the means of our survival, the impulse which helps us take action and respond to danger. The angelic messenger isn't telling Mary to disconnect from her body and stop feeling all the feels. The angelic messenger tells her instead, be brave. Because just as fear is a natural part of life, so is suffering especially when we love. Daring to love someone comes at the cost of experiencing their pain. The Apostle Paul tells us in a long passage about how to love one another in Romans 12:15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and cry with those who cry. Love means taking on one another's happiness and sadness. The joy we receive from existing in community also opens us up to the pain of those we love. As Colin Parks puts it, grief is the price we pay for love, because we continue to love even after we have lost the one we have loved. Love looks like sharing one another's burdens, which means that we must mourn with our Palestinian siblings. But as Cornell West teaches us, justice is what love looks like in public. As we experience the grief of our neighbor in Palestine, we must also be motivated towards justice for them. We allow ourselves to engage with their suffering, but we must be brave because we must stand next to them in the struggle for liberation. The brave people of Palestine who filmed the atrocities happening in Gaza, who dare to resist the inhumanity of the IDF by caring for their neighbor, who sacrificed their lives to protect innocent children, are also standing before us as angelic messengers of God, declaring to those of us who have so little reason to fear in comparison, do not be afraid. 
Be brave, for our struggle gets to be a part of the liberation of all people. And we must be brave, because our faith in the God who is love calls us to joy and love today. It is not a joy that dismisses the real pain, but one that joins in grief with one another. It is not a joy that ignores the hard realities of life under oppression, but one that joins with that life in solidarity. It is not a joy that comes because things are going to be easy. It is a rebellious joy, a disruptive joy, a joy that interrupts and interjects and says, Be brave! Do not let fear overwhelm you, because we will get through it together. The power of fear is strong against us, and it would be easy to succumb to it. But we are gathered here on this day because we believe that love herself was born today. And we know that perfect love casts out fear. Do not be afraid, for love is born, and the liberation of all people is at hand. And because of our love, we get to be a part of the liberation of everyone. Shalom. Hey there, friends. This is W. Scott McCandless. I am very proud to be a co-host on The Word in Black and Red, as well as the host of my own podcast, Retelling the Bible. My favorite leftist radical Christmas story actually goes like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's not a radical leftist Christmas story. That is the very opposite. It is the story of Mary and Joseph meekly complying to the demands of the empire, going and registering with the occupying regime. That is how we were all taught to read it. But here's the thing. That doesn't make any sense. Not historically and not practically. The Romans didn't register people in their ancestral homes. They registered them in the places where they lived so that they could come back and find them again and take their stuff. So why would Joseph go to register in Bethlehem? It makes no sense, according to Roman law or practice. But it does make some sense, according to biblical law and practice. There was one law in the Old Testament that did require all Israelite males to return to their ancestral lands. It was called the Law of Jubilee. During the Jubilee, people were to return to the lands they had lost due to poverty and debt, and they were supposed to demand them back. Read the Gospel of Luke 
carefully there. It doesn't actually say that the Romans required people to return to their lost homes to register. That would have been the dumbest census ever. It just says that Joseph and some others did it. So what I think the Gospel of Luke is saying is that Caesar may have ordered a census, but that Joseph and people like him decided to hold a jubilee. They did it to mess with the census, maybe, because a little bit of civil disobedience has its place, but they did it even more to boldly proclaim that they did not live under Caesar's law of exploitation. They lived under God's law of jubilee. I could say much more about this reading of the nativity story. In fact, I've written an entire book about it, a book called Caesar's Census, God's Jubilee. But let me leave it there and wish you all a Merry Christmas and a happy disruption of all the Empire's greedy plans. Happy holidays, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. It's Elle. I'm happy to be bringing forth a holiday message. I've decided to read a poem from the book The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. It's on giving, and since it's the giving season, I thought it was appropriate. Then said a rich man, speak to us of giving. And he answered, you give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. For what are your possessions but things to keep and guard for fear you may need them tomorrow? And tomorrow... What shall tomorrow bring to the overprudent dog, burying bones in the trackless sand as he follows the pilgrims to the holy city? And what is fear of need, but need itself? It is not dread of thirst when your well is full, the thirst that is unquenchable. There are those who give little of the much which they have, and they give it for recognition, and their hidden desire makes their gifts unwholesome. And there are those who have little and give it all. These are the believers in life and the bounty of life, and their coffer is never empty. There are those who give with joy, and that joy is their reward. And there are those who give with pain, and that pain is their baptism. And there are those who give and know not pain in giving, nor do they seek joy, nor give with mindfulness of virtue. They give as in yonder valley the myrtle breathes its fragrance into space. Through the hands of such as these, God speaks, and from behind their eyes he smiles upon the earth. It is well to give when asked, but it is better to give unasked, through understanding. And to the open-handed the search for one who shall receive is joy greater than giving. And is there aught you would withhold? All you have shall someday be given. Therefore, give now, that the season of giving may be yours and not your inheritor's. You often say, I would give, but only to the deserving. The trees in your orchard say not so, nor the flocks in your pasture. They give that they may live, for to withhold is to perish. Surely he who is worthy to receive his days and his nights is worthy of all else from you. And he who has deserved to drink from the ocean of life deserves to fill his cup from your little stream. What desert greater shall there be? than that which lies in the courage and the confidence, nay, the charity of receiving. And who are you that men should rend their bosom and unveil their pride, that you may see their worth naked and their pride unabashed? See first that you yourself deserve to be a giver and an instrument of giving. For in truth it is life that gives unto life, while you who deem yourself a giver but are a witness. And you receivers, and you are all receivers, 
Assume no weight of gratitude, lest you lay a yoke upon yourself and upon him who gives. Rather, rise together with the giver on his gifts as on wings. For to be overmindful of your debt is to doubt his generosity, for who has the free-hearted earth for mother and God for father? Amen, and happy holidays. Hey, this is Matt. My first non-special episode will be episode 26. I will let Micah fully introduce me there, but I would like to use my time to read uh, what may be a familiar passage of scripture for our reflection. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked will perish in darkness. For not by might does one prevail. The Lord, his adversaries, will be shattered. The Most High will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. That's not the Magnificat, which is what you might have expected with the opening words of that passage, especially here at Christmas time. That passage comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2, after Hannah has received the miracle birth of her son Samuel. Luke is very steeped in the Old Testament narratives. He draws on many streams of thought, including these miracle birth narratives, where there's often some kind of angelic messenger announcing a birth, and sometimes bouts of poetry like Hannah does here, or we read from Mary in Luke 1, 46-56. Luke is captured by the Old Testament imagination. He draws on themes, especially from Hannah's song, of reversal and subversion, where the proud are brought low, the rich are sent away empty, and the hungry are filled. Luke has a vision of justice that is very much rooted in the Old Testament narratives. He uses these texts as a way to understand Jesus's ministry and to understand what Jesus's ministry means for the audience that he's writing for. We benefit from that gospel just as we benefit from the text that he's drawing on. This Christmas, as we turn once again to the birth narrative of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to attend to these themes of reversal, these themes of subversion. I would encourage you to attend to how it is the shepherds who are homeless abiding in the fields that the angels come to bring news of peace on earth and goodwill among all peoples. I would encourage you to attend to Jesus' dedication where his family brings two turtle doves, not the ones from that song, but the two turtle doves that the law of Moses would allow a poor family to bring in place of a livestock, a cow, a calf, a lamb. These stories told well should inspire us to acts of great love and compassion. They should inspire us to acts of justice, acts of mercy much as Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2 inspired Luke. So turn to the scriptures as Luke did. Q 
keep telling these stories as Luke did, and we will get there. We will arrive at a world that is just and equitable for all peoples. Merry Christmas. Hello and happy holy days. This is Spencer. For my Christmas message, I will share the words of prophets who saw our Savior and Messiah in vision. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd, he shall gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. It is he that bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And it came to pass that I looked, and I beheld the city of Nazareth, and in the city of Nazareth I beheld a virgin, and she was exceedingly fair. And it came to pass that I saw the heavens open, and an angel came down and stood before me, and he said unto me, What beholdest thou? And I said unto him, A virgin, most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. And he said unto me, Knowest thou the condescension of God? And I said unto him, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. And he said unto me, Behold, the virgin whom thou seest is the mother of the Son of God. And I looked and beheld the virgin again, bearing a child in her arms. Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. Yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father. Yea, it is the love of God which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, it is the most desirable above all things, and the most joyous to the soul. And I looked, and I beheld the Son of God, going forth among the children of men. And I saw many fall down at his feet and worship him. And the angel said unto me again, Look, and behold the condescension of God. And I looked, and beheld the Redeemer of the world, and the prophet who should prepare the way before him. And the Lamb of God went forth and was baptized of him. And after he was baptized, I beheld the heavens open, and the Holy Ghost came down out of heaven and abide upon him in the form of a dove. And I beheld that he went forth ministering unto the people in power and great glory, and the multitudes were gathered together to hear him. And I beheld that they cast him out from among them. And I beheld the Lamb of God going forth among the children of men, And I beheld multitudes of people who were sick and who were afflicted with all manner of diseases and with devils and unclean spirits. And they were healed by the power of the Lamb of God and the devils and the unclean spirits were cast out. And I beheld the Lamb of God that he was taken by the people. Yea, the Son of the everlasting God was judged of the world and I saw and bear record. And I saw that he was lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. And blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth God's Zion, for they shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. And if they endure unto the end, they shall be lifted up at the last day, and shall be saved in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. And whoso shall publish peace, yea, tidings of great joy, how beautiful upon the mountains shall they be. And we beheld the glory of the Son on the right hand of the Father, 
and received of his fullness, and saw the holy angels and them who are sanctified before his throne, worshiping God and the Lamb, who worship him forever and ever. And now, after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony, last of all, which we give of him, that he lives. Christmas, for me, is intimately connected with death. Death, and the fear of death, is crucial, pun intended, to how empire maintains order and exercises control. Death also marks the entrance of our Savior into this world with a ruler bent on maintaining his hegemony, ordering the slaughter of innocents in ancient Palestine. To my knowledge, it is a Franciscan tradition that Easter, in essence, is celebrated at Christmas. We not only look to the meaning of the Incarnation, but, as Paul Tillich says, eternity has done something that we can see and hear in the reality of mortal humanity, and by his own death has conquered him who has the power of death. If Christmas has any meaning, it is that. If Christmas has any meaning, it is that Christ has defeated death. Now, I don't mean to invalidate or minimize other significance that is celebrated by anyone by such certain and absolutist terms, and I don't believe that that was Tillich's intention either. Christ, in his victory over death, does not do so abstractly. He does not do so removed from the suffering of the world. He takes part in that suffering. I lost my father a little over 10 years ago, and in the months that followed, while I did my best to pretend to be a functioning member of society, going to my job, clicking my buttons, and going home so I could be alone in my grief, I thought a lot about death. I thought of Christ's execution by the state, and in these moments, I noticed something that I had always quickly ignored before about that scene. I noticed, as Jesus asks his friend to care for his mother, that he would only do so if Joseph was not in the picture. Indeed, he's nowhere to be found at the crucifixion scene or anywhere after Jesus' childhood. Jesus knew what it was like to lose a father. For me, the incarnation reframes the problem of evil, the problem of pain, the problem of suffering. As with the incarnation, when we suffer with others, we, in turn, are suffered with, and we understand better how Christ suffers with us. While Christ suffered with us presently, temporally, we also, in the celebration of the Incarnation, look forward to the resurrection, to the victory over death. What does it mean for death to be defeated? Who benefits from death? Empire, capital, and oppression of every kind relies on the fear of death. In the days of Christ, the fear of death was direct, the cross was an ever-present reminder of what would happen to you if you resisted. Now, if we are not threatened by bombs of a steadily expanding empire, the ever-present possibility that someone dressed in blue will execute you on sight, we are threatened with homelessness, starvation, and the inability to receive care if we do not do exactly as our bosses say. I believe in the truth of the resurrection, that death is not to be feared. And if death, the chief of all fears is abolished, then all fears subservient to it are also abolished. We are free to love without fear of vulnerability, without fear of burnout, without fear of lack of status, without fear of lack of security, or fear of poverty. Perfect love casts out all fear. Love such as that of one laying down their life. Love that claims victory over death. Love that crumbles empires. Love that starves capital 
in its abundance and puts itself in the way of the violent and murderous enforcement of the law of the land. Love that bears the fruit of liberation. Love that one suffers with those who suffer, births solidarity to the starvation of self-indulgence. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim liberation to the captives. Death has been defeated. Liberation comes on wings of love. Hello. My name is Don Van Antwerpen, and I am the pastor of Unfinished Community, a hybrid church community online and in person that is specifically for all those who have been made to feel unwelcome in other Christian spaces. This Christmas, a lot of you are going to find yourselves in that unenviable position of having to exist in unaffirming, if not actively hostile, church spaces. Maybe you're home visiting family and get dragged into attending a church where you're not welcome as your full, authentic self. Maybe you just want to go try to peacefully connect with God somewhere because it's Christmas and there are only unaffirming spaces around you. Maybe you're just stuck at home listening to members of a family you've never felt safe enough to come out to vomit their scripturally ill-informed hatred with all the confidence of someone who's never known what it's like to be left out in the cold. Or maybe it's something else entirely. But wherever you find yourself this Christmas season, if you find yourself confronted with people claiming Christianity while spouting bigotry, hatred, or in any way telling you that you are unwelcome in the house of God, if you find yourself looking into the manger wishing that the salvation on offer was meant for you too, please remember, it is. You are welcome in God's house. You are valued by God. You are loved by God, not in an abstract way, not conditionally provided that you reject your full and authentic self and cram yourself into the limited claustrophobic box of identity that has been built for you by gatekeepers trying to play toll booth on the road to God's house. No, you are welcome. And when these people stand before you, when they pull out their Bible and try to tell you that it condemns you, when they spit the words of Christ out of their mouths in twisted form, bending word and phrase to make it look like Jesus only called the repressed and limited few to his side, when the people around you are singing Silent Night and all you want to do is scream out your real true name, hear and remember these words from the Gospel of Matthew, which Jesus delivered to the same kind of people, to the same crowd of exclusionist leaders who wanted then, just as so many want now, to maintain their power and privilege at the expense of those on the outside, those outcast and oppressed, who God most loves. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, 
teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Merry Christmas, my dear and beloved children of God. Endure today if you must, but know in your heart that the condemnation given to you is the work of those who would use your rejection to power themselves, and that our Creator and Christ our Messiah, whose birth we celebrate today, Stand not before you blocking the way, but beside you in love, walking with you in your struggles, welcoming you with loving arms always and forever. Be safe and be confident in the unconditional love given to you today by the one who made you, perfect and true just as you are and not as others would have you be. And now go to love and serve the world in solidarity with everyone who suffers so that we might be a part of the liberation of all people. Shalom.